Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The first of our focus on the powers of the passion is the power of prayer and the power of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But to look at this tonight, we'll begin in the Old Testament with the book of Exodus chapter 12, where the children of Israel are preparing for war. It is called a night vigil, and the people are getting ready for war. On the eve of the Passover, the Israelites were instructed to keep a vigilant watch, to stay up late, not to go to bed, not to get in their pajamas, rather, They were to stay up, slaughter a lamb, and have a meal. They were to be dressed for travel, bags packed, ready to go. They were to prepare food for their journey by removing all the leaven from the house so that the only bread which they were going to bring was going to be unleavened bread because there was not even time to let the dough rise overnight. That night was the final of ten battles that the Lord had brought against the Egyptians to bring out his people. It is described in the book of Exodus as a spiritual war, where the Lord says in chapter 12, On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The Lord would strike down the firstborn at Midnight, sending the angel of destruction to into the homes of the Egyptians. It was God's last blow against the war he was fighting against the spiritual forces in Egypt. So he instructed his people to stay awake and keep watch, a night vigil. The word vigil means to stay alert, to protect, and to guard something like a night watchman would stand in the tower and it was his job to stay awake and keep watch to see what was coming. They were to be ready to move because the Lord would strike down the Egyptians that night. And so in chapter 12, verse 41, we read, At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts or the armies of Israel, went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching, kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And so you see the night vigil was both the Lord keeping watch and then his people joining him in that guarding and protecting of God's plans. It was this night of our Lord's betrayal when they were observing the very same thing. Jesus and his disciples were gathered to observe the Passover event that we are reading about in Exodus chapter 12. Only now, instead of Moses, Jesus is standing as the centerpiece, instructing his people and leading them out. If you recall from Sunday's sermon, 
when we follow Jesus up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah were there. And Jesus was having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And what were they talking about? If you remember, in the New King James, it says they were talking about his decease. In the ESV, it says they were talking about his departure. But what is the word we said on Sunday is in the Greek? Does anyone remember? Exodus. The Exodus is the word in Greek that is used of Jesus' conversation with Moses and Elijah that he's preparing for his Exodus, which shapes the way that we're reading now the events unfolding in the Passion here as Jesus is celebrating the Passover. Although I probably shouldn't say celebrate, I should probably say observe. Because it's not really a time of celebration. Instead, it's a time for a vigil watch. Jesus is preparing for the great warfare of Yehovah, the Lord of the Old Testament. And he's going to engage in this war against the same gods of Egypt that were trying to keep the children of Israel captive in the Old Testament. But now it's the same spiritual forces that are working in darkness to overthrow God's plans that night. So Luke is narrating this to evoke our memories of the Passover vigil in Exodus chapter 12. Jesus is facing those powers, and his disciples are to be equipped for battle. It begins with Jesus telling them to take two swords along. He wants them to be dressed like they're ready for battle, but like the Israelites, they aren't going to use the swords. Just like the Israelites marched out and they were dressed for battle, who fought the fight? They came to the garden, the Mount of Olives. They went out and proceeded that language of going. And we will look at Luke chapter 22 now to read what follows. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to Jesus an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus' passion demonstrates God's power at work. 
And here it's in the power of prayer. Jesus getting down on his knees and praying. It's all directing us to this very thing, whether you're looking at the events of the Passover and the exodus from Egypt, or you're looking at Jesus's exodus here from this world. What we are trying to understand is how to prepare for spiritual warfare, to engage in a battle. God says, keep a vigil. And never enter these battles without the Lord fighting for you. Keeping watch over you and for you and fighting the battle at the lead. The, this section begins and ends with prayer. It begins with pray that you may not enter into temptation. And it ends with wake up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer at the beginning and waking up and praying at the end. In between is where Jesus does battle and where the disciples sleep. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10 how all of this relates to alertness to temptation. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 10 says that with the Israelites who left Egypt, most of them God was not pleased with. God was not pleased because they were constantly caught off guard. They were constantly deceived. They constantly fell into temptation because they were ill-equipped. They didn't heed God's word. Therefore, it says, let y'all take heed. Who thinks he stands, lest he falls. No temptation has overcome man except which is common to all. But God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, and he will provide a way of escape. The danger we're warned about is temptation to rely on ourselves, our pride, our ego, our self-delusion about what we're capable of. The idea that we can conquer it. We can, we can defeat this. We can overcome it with our own will. The night vigil teaches us that we can't. Jesus withdraws about a stone's throw. It reminds us of the distance between David and Goliath. When he let the stone fly, Jesus has gone to face the giant. And a stone's throw away from where his disciples are sleeping, Jesus is praying. He's kneeling down and he's praying. Jesus is showing that his power is not in his pride. It's not in his will and it's not in himself. This is the king of all creation. The royal son the divine glory of God who is on his knees. Can we imagine what this means? That Jesus would humble himself before God to submit to a higher power. And he prays, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus references a cup which tells us it has to do with suffering. It is the cup of wrath. Isaiah talks about this cup. Isaiah talks about a cup that Jerusalem must drink because of its foolishness and its idolatry. It's a cup that Jerusalem has to drink. In fact, they are already drinking it so much of God's wrath because of their unbelief that they're staggering around spiritually and they're passing out not to wake up for some time. Isaiah says to those people, awake, wake up from your stumbling slumber so you can see the soberness of the Lord. Because here the Lord is totally sober. He's totally aware of what's happening. He totally knows that none of us can do it. And he is ready to drink that cup if he must. But he's pleading if there's any other way. The only way Jesus could pray this prayer is if he's truly human. If he's human in every way and he's given up all divine powers to overcome this temptation on his own. And he has to really ask God, is there another way? He can't use his divine power to even see the future. And yet, the Father does not give him what he's asking for. The Father does not spare him. In fact, he doubles down by sending an angel to strengthen Jesus, giving Jesus the answer. He's not going to deliver him, but he's going to strengthen him for what he's facing. And this is where the prayer becomes the most intense. This is where Jesus starts sweating. Have you ever prayed so hard that you've perspired? I can't think of a time when I've prayed this intensely. But we shouldn't be mistaken to think that it's his physical effort that's causing him to sweat. No, it's the spiritual battle. It's not because his will is so strong and his body is so in tune with the Lord that he's sweating because he's praying so hard. The sweat is coming from the agony. The Greek word here is agonia, which gives us the English word, translates directly to agony. He's praying with sweat so intensely that the drops are thicker and thicker like blood dripping from him and falling to the ground. It's the true humanity of Jesus here on display, reminding us that it is his blood that will drop to the earth and be poured out as a sacrificial offering for us. Jesus' prayers are sacrificial, which means that he is praying not just for us, And not just with us, but in our place here, he's praying because we do not have the strength. We're too weak. We're too driven by our flesh. We are sinful. The disciples are sleeping. They're not alert. They're not praying. And so Jesus prays for each one of you. In the darkness, powers surrounding him. He's keeping watch over you constantly. But he reminds his disciples at the end, 
to awake, to get up and to pray. He invites us to watch with him, to enter the battle with him, to wage spiritual war with Jesus, but not by our will, but by his spirit. The spirit is guided by powers that are outside of us. It doesn't come from within us when the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen us. It comes from God so that these temptations are more and more visible to us because temptation is like a trap. The devil sets traps all over the place. And the thing about a good trap is it looks like it's not there at all. What Jesus is telling his disciples to pray for is discernment and sight to see where the traps are, to discern them so we don't slumberly or drunkenly fall into the net so we're not caught unaware. So we celebrate tonight the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of the Passover with Jesus fulfilling what it all meant. We do so at night. The sun is set. We do so with our eyes open, awake. We do so with Jesus, who's meeting with us tonight to have the same meal that he had with his disciples, to teach us the same things that we should pray, that we should keep watch and vigil, that we come to the table, we receive his body and blood, and then we go out into battle. The Passion season's main focus is this idea of spiritual warfare. Throughout the season ahead of us, we're going to be looking at Jesus and following him on his exodus out of Egypt, out of this world, but knowing that, like the Israelites, it's going to lead us through the wilderness. And we're going to need his power to get through it so we can safely arrive at the promised land and receive the victory of God's gift for us. Amen.